Book One, Chapter Two of Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Two: Russians and Tartars. The Tsar had not so suddenly left the ballroom of the new palace when the fête he was giving to the civil and military authorities and the principal people of Moscow was at the height of its brilliancy without ample cause for he had just received information that serious events were taking place beyond the frontiers of the oral it had become evident that a formidable rebellion threatened to wrestle the siberian provinces from the russian crown asiatic russia or siberia covers a superficial area of one million seven hundred ninety thousand two hundred and eight square miles and contains nearly two million of inhabitants extending from the oral mountains which separated from russia in europe to the shores of the pacific ocean it is bounded on the south by turkestan and the chinese empire on the north by the arctic ocean from the sea of kara to Bering's straits it is divided into several governments or provinces those of tobolsk yeniseisk irkutsk omsk and yakutsk containing two districts ohotsk and kamchatka and possesses two countries now under the muscovite dominion that of the kirghiz and that of the chukchis this immense extent of steppes which includes more than one hundred and ten degrees from west to east is a land to which criminals and political offenders are banished two governor-generals represent the supreme authority of the czar over this vast country the higher one resides at irkutsk the far capital of eastern siberia the river chuna separates the two siberias no rail yet furrows these wide plains some of which are in reality extremely fertile no iron ways lead from those precious mines which make the siberia soil far richer below than above its surface the traveller journeys in summer in a kibik or telga in winter in a sledge an electric telegraph with a single wire more than eight thousand versts in length alone affords communication between the western and eastern frontiers of siberia on issuing from the Ural, it passes through Yekaterinburg, Kasirnov, Tyumen, Ishim, Omsk, Elamsk, Kolivan, Tomsk, Krasnoyarsk, Nizhny Udinsk, Irkutsk, Verknenerching, Streling, Abazine, Blagovstengs, Radde, Orlomskaya, Aleksandrevskoye, and Nikolaevsk. And six rubles and nineteen kopecks are paid for every word sent from one end to the other from irkutsk there is a branch to kiatka on the mongolian frontier and from thence for thirty kopecks a word the post conveys the dispatches to pekin in a fortnight it was this wire extending from ekaterinburg to nikolaevsk which had been cut first beyond tomsk and then between tomsk and kowivany this was why the czar to the communication made to him for the second time by general kisov had answered by the words Ekeye this moment the czar remained motionless at the window for a few moments when the door was again opened the chief of police appeared on the threshold enter general said the czar briefly and tell me all you know of ivan ogroff he is an extremely dangerous man sire replied the chief of police he ranked as a colonel did he not yes sire was he an intelligent officer very intelligent but a man whose spirit it was impossible to subdue and possessing an ambition which stopped at nothing he became involved in secret intrigues and was degraded from his rank by his highness the grand duke and exiled to siberia how long ago was that two years since 
pardoned after six months of exile by Your Majesty's favor, he returned to Russia. And since that time, has he not revisited Siberia? Yes, sire, but he voluntarily returned there, replied the chief of police, adding and slightly lowering his voice. There was a time, sire, when none returned from Siberia. Well, whilst I live, Siberia is and shall be a country whence men can return. The Tsar had the right to utter these words with some pride, for often, by his clemency, he had shown that Russian justice knew how to pardon. The head of the police did not reply to this observation, but it was evident that he did not approve of such half-measures. According to his idea, a man who had once passed the Ural Mountains in charge of policemen ought never again to cross them. Now it was not thus under the new reign, and the chief of police sincerely deplored it. What? No banishment for life for other crimes than those against social order? What? Political exiles returning from Tobolsk, from Yakutsk, from Irkutsk? In truth, the chief of police, accustomed to the despotic sentences of the ukaze, which formerly never pardoned, could not understand this mode of governing. But he was silent, waiting until the Tsar should interrogate him further. The questions were not long in coming. Did not Ivan Ograf, asked the Tsar, return to Russia a second time after that journey? Through the Siberian provinces, the object of which remains unknown. He did. And have the police lost trace of him since? No, sire, for an offender only becomes really dangerous from the day he has received his pardon. The Tsar frowned. Perhaps the chief of police feared that he had gone rather too far, though the stubbornness of his ideas was at least equal to the boundless devotion he felt for his master. But the Tsar, disdaining to reply to these indirect reproaches cast on his policy, continued his questions. Verves Ograf last heard of? In the province of Perm. In what town? At Perm itself. What was he doing? He appeared unoccupied, and there was nothing suspicious in his conduct. Then he has not under the surveillance of the secret police? No, sire. When did he leave Perm? About the month of March. To go. Where is unknown. And it is not known. What has become of him? No, sire. It is not known. Well, then, I myself know, answered the Tsar. I have received anonymous communications which did not pass from the police department, and in the face of events now taking place beyond the frontier, I have every reason to believe that they are correct. Do you mean, sire? cried the chief of police. That Ivan Ogorov has a hand in this Tartar rebellion? Indeed I do. And I will, no, tell you something which you are ignorant of. After leaving Perm, Ivan Ogorov crossed the Euro Mountains, entered Siberia, and penetrated the Kurs Steppes, and we endeavored 
not without success. To foment rebellion amongst their nomadic population. He then went so far south as free Turkestan, where in the provinces of Bulgaria, Korkant, and Kondos, he found chiefs willing to pour their Tartar hordes into Siberia and excite a general rising. In aesthetic Russia, the storm has been silently gathering, but it has at least burst like a thunderclap, and of all means of communication between eastern and western Siberia have been stopped. Moreover, Ivan Ogroff, visiting for vengeance, aims at the life of my brother the czar had become excited whilst speaking and now paced up and down with hurried steps the chief of police said nothing but he thought to himself that during the time when the emperors of russia never pardoned an exile schemes such as those of ivan ogareff could never have been realized approaching the czar who had thrown himself into an armchair he asked your majesty has of course given orders so that this rebellion may be suppressed as soon as possible Yes, answered the Tsar. The last telegram which reached Ninse and would set in motion the troops in the governments of Yenseni, Irutsk, Yakutsk, and Velizvos in the provinces of the Amur and Lake Beko. At the same time, the regiments from Perm and Nizhny Novgorod, and the Cossacks from the frontier are advancing by forced marches towards the Euro Mountains, but some weeks must pass before they can attack the Tartars. And your Majesty's brother, His Highness the Grand Duke, is now isolated in the government of Irtursk and is no longer in direct communication with Moscow. That is so. But by the last dispatches, he must know what measures have been taken by your majesty, and what help he may expect from the government's nearest Irtursk. He knows that, answered the Tsar. But what he does not know is that Ivan Ogroff, as well as being a rebel, is also playing the part of a traitor, and that in him he has a personal and bitter enemy. It is to the Grand Duke that Orgraf owes his first disgrace, and that is more serious is that this man is not known to him. Orgraf's plan, therefore, is to go to Ekutsk and under an assumed name offer his services to the Grand Duke. Then, after gaining his confidence, when he Tartars have invested Kusk. He will betray Beethoven, and with it my brother, whose life he seeks, this is what I have learned from my secret intelligence. This is what I, Grand Duke, does not know, and this is what he must know. Well, sire. 
an intelligent, courageous career. I momentarily expect one. And it is to be hoped he will be expeditious, added the chief of police. For, allow me to add, sire, that Siberia is a favorable land for rebellions. Do you mean to say, General, that the exiles would make common cause with the rebels? exclaimed the Tsar. Excuse me, your majesty? stammered the chief of police, for that was really the idea suggested to him by his uneasy and suspicious mind. I believe in their patriotism, returned the Tsar. There are other offenders besides political exiles in Siberia, said the chief of police. The criminals, oh, general, I give those up to you. They are the vilest, I grant, of the human race. They belong to no country, but they insurrection, or rather, they rebellion, is not to oppose the empire. It is raised against Russia, against the country which the exiles have not lost all hope of again. Seeing and which they will see again. No, a Russian would never unite with a daughter to weaken where it only for an hour the Muscovit Pover. The Tsar was right in trusting to the patriotism of those whom his policy kept for a time at a distance. Clemency was the foundation of his justice when he could himself direct its effects. The modifications he had adopted with regard to applications for the formerly terrible ukases warranted the belief that he was not mistaken. But even without this powerful element of success in regard to the Tartar rebellion, circumstances were not the less very serious, for it was to be feared that a large part of the Kyrgyz population would join the rebels. The Kyrgyz are divided into three hordes, the greater, the lesser, and the middle, and number nearly four hundred thousand tents, or two million souls. Of the different tribes, some are independent, and others recognize either the sovereignty of Russia or that of the Khans of Kiva, Kokand, and Bokhara, the most formidable chiefs of Turkestan. The middle horde, the richest, is also the largest, and its encampments occupy all the space between the rivers Sarasou, Irtish, and the Upper Ishim, Lake Saisang, and Lake Aksakal. The greater horde, occupying the countries situated to the east of the middle one, extends as far as the governments of Omsk and Tobolsk. Therefore, if the Kyrgyz population should rise, it would be the rebellion of Asiatic Russia, and the first thing would be the separation of Siberia to the east of the Yenisei. It is true that these Kyrgyz, mere novices in the art of war, are rather nocturnal thieves and plunderers of caravans than regular soldiers. As Monsieur Levchin says, a firm front or a square of good infantry could repel ten times the number of Kyrgyz, and a single cannon might destroy a frightful number. That may be, but to do this it is necessary for the square of good infantry to reach the rebellious country, and the cannon to leave the arsenals of the Russian provinces, perhaps two or three thousand versts distant. Now, except by the direct route from Ekaterinburg to Irkutsk, the often marshy steppes are not easily practicable, and some weeks must certainly pass before the Russian troops could reach the Tartar hordes. Omsk is the center of that military organization of western Siberia which is intended to overawe the Kyrgyz population. 
here are the bounds more than once infringed by the half-subdued nomads and there was every reason to believe that omsk was already in danger the line of military stations that is to say those cossack posts which are ranged in echelon from omsk to semipolatinsk must have been broken in several places now it was to be feared that the great sultans who governed the kirghiz districts would either voluntarily accept or involuntarily submit to the dominion of the tartars musclemen like themselves and that to the hate caused by slavery was not united the hate due to the antagonism of the greek and musulman religions for some time indeed the tartars of turkestan had endeavoured both by force and persuasion to subdue the kirghiz hordes a few words only with respect to these tartars the tartars belong more especially to two distinct races the caucasian and the mongolian the caucasian race which as abel de remusat says is regarded in europe as the type of beauty in our species because all the nations in this part of the world have sprung from it includes also the turks and the persians the purely mongolian race comprises the mongols manchus and tibetans the tartars who now threatened the russian empire belong to the caucasian race and occupied turkestan this immense country is divided into different states governed by khans and hence termed khanats the principal khanats are those of bokhara kokand kunduz etc at this period the most important and the most formidable khanat was that of bokhara russia had already been several times at war with its chiefs who for their own interests had supported the independence of the kirghiz against the muscovite dominion the present chief feofar khan followed in the steps of his predecessors the khanate of bokhara has a population of two million five hundred thousand inhabitants an army of sixty thousand men trebled in time of war and thirty thousand horsemen it is a rich country with varied animal vegetable and mineral products and has been increased by the accession of the territories of balkh aukoi and meimane it possesses nineteen large towns bokhara surrounded by a wall measuring more than eight english miles and flanked with towers a glorious city made illustrious by avicenna and other learned men of the tenth century is regarded as the centre of mussulman science and ranks among the most celebrated cities of central asia samarkand which contains the tomb of tamerlan and the famous palace where the blue stone is kept on which each new khan must seat himself on his accession is defended by a very strong citadel karshi with its triple cordon situated in an oasis surrounded by a marsh peopled with tortoises and lizards is almost impregnable east Charjui is defended by a population of twenty thousand souls protected by its mountains and isolated by its steppes the khanate of bokhara is a most formidable state and russia would need a large force to subdue it the fierce and ambitious feofar now governed this corner of tartary relying on the other khans principally those of kokand and kunduz cruel and rapacious warriors all ready to join an enterprise so dear to tartar instincts aided by the chiefs who ruled all the hordes of central asia he had placed himself at the head of the rebellion of which ivan ogaryev was the instigator this traitor impelled by insane ambition as much as by hate had ordered the movement so as to attack siberia mad indeed he was if he hoped to rupture the muscovite empire acting under his suggestion the emir which is the title taken by the khans of bokhara had poured his hordes over the russian frontier 
he invaded the government of Somipoatinsk, and the Cossacks, who were only in small force there, had been obliged to retire before him. He had advanced farther than Lake Balkash, gaining over the Kyrgyz population on his way, pillaging, ravaging, enrolling those who submitted, taking prisoners those who resisted, he marched from one town to another, followed by those impedimenta of oriental sovereignty which may be called his household, his wives and his slaves, all with the cool audacity of a modern Genghis Khan. It was impossible to ascertain where he now was, how far his soldiers had marched before the news of the rebellion reached Moscow, or to what part of Siberia the Russian troops had been forced to retire. All communication was interrupted. Had the wire between Kowyvany and Tomsk been cut by Tartar scouts, or had the emir himself arrived at the Yeniseisk provinces? Was all the lower part of western Siberia in a ferment? Had the rebellion already spread to the eastern regions? No one could say. The only agent which fears neither cold nor heat, which can neither be stopped by the rigors of winter nor the heat of summer, and which flies with the rapidity of lightning, the electric current, was prevented from traversing the steppes and it was no longer possible to warn the grand duke shut up in irkutsk of the danger threatening him from the treason of ivan ogarev a courier only could supply the place of the interrupted current it would take this man some time to traverse the five thousand two hundred versts between moscow and irkutsk to pass the ranks of the rebels and invaders he must display almost superhuman courage and intelligence but with a clear head and a firm heart much can be done Shall I be able to find this head and heart? thought the Tsar. End of chapter 2